Welcome to the People of PCPS, a Polk County Public Schools podcast. This podcast is dedicated to telling the stories of teachers, paraeducators, support staff, students, volunteers, alumni, and all the people who contribute to Polk County Public Schools. Whether they're working in the school district, learning in our classrooms, or using their education to improve our community, the people are what make Polk County Public Schools great. Let's get to know our colleagues, our students, our neighbors, and our friends, the people of PCPS. Hi everyone, I'm Rachel Pleasant, the Senior Director of Communications for Polk County Public Schools, and welcome back to the People of PCPS podcast. This is a special time that we have set aside simply to get to know the people who work for Polk County Public Schools better. There's so many interesting and dedicated people who work for our school district, and yet we are all so busy and, and time goes by so quickly that we don't always take the time just to get to know them and their stories better, and that's what we're doing on this podcast. And today, I am so excited to have with me Charles Lester, who is a member of our custodial staff. He has been working as a custodian for 53 years, at, always at Union Academy, and he is also a, an alum, alumnus of Union Academy. He went there um, even before it was integrated. Is that correct? So thank you so much for being here, Charles. As you know, as I've told you, I've been wanting to talk to you for months. I've been thinking about you before you even knew I existed. So I'm, it's such an honor to have you here and to talk to you. Um, I think a burning question that everyone will want to know is, why does someone continue to be a custodian after th 53 years? What is it that you like about your job? What makes you want to keep going to it? Well, you have to take in consideration that we was like what we call the quarters. We had the, since we were not integrated, we had a certain section of town that we lived in. And there was two things that I really loved, and that was church, which I've been with them about 67 years in the same church. So I guess I'm just longevity once I get somewhere. And then the school itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and we were walking distance from the school, so we had to walk to school, and it was totally different than that. For some reason, the, the season was colder. Mm -hmm. We used to have icicles, and we would go to school and jump in the mud puddles, and, and it was just pleasure. So it became a pleasure thing to me. Mm -hmm. And then as I was, uh, got older and I was working in the school system, uh, going to school there, and the principal had a program there, for any kids, if you work during the summer, you get free lunches, or you get lunches tickets for your, for your work. Mm -hmm. And so that's my first job working with the school board. And then later on, I graduated from the school, and, and that's where the love started right there. Mm -hmm. uh, for someone to take time out there and ask you, would you come and work for me? Mm -hmm. And I was working at the hospital, and I was the direct environmental service over there, and a safety director. And he had the head custodian ask me one day would I come and work at the school because mm -hmm. he, he was aware of what I was doing at the hospital. And it gave me a golden opportunity to do for the school what I was doing over there. And the school was like my home. It was everything to me. Mm -hmm. And the alumni, everything I could do, shirts, if I could make a shirt. I, I even bought a, a tag for the school mm -hmm. to have a mascot. Uh, the only time I, the, the system really hurt me is when uh, we went to all seventh grade and changed the name of the school. Mm -hmm. and at that point, I was kind of like down. Mm 
And I, Mr. Brown was the principal at the time, and we talked several times about it. And the, the community also talked to him about it. And they changed the name back to Union Academy. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was just sold. It was called Golf U Golf for U. two years, yeah, if you told, if I remember correctly. What right. you, so, so you you mentioned that so you grew up here in Bartow. Oh yes. And you, when you talk about the quarters, do you mean a part of town that? Would, well, see what happened. It was the town was segregated in the forties. I was born in forty, like forty one. So when I, I was born in Rayford, Florida, mm-hmm. we moved to Bartow when I was like two. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I don't know nothing else but Bartow. Mm-hmm. And and at that time, the whole town was segregated. We could go to town, but we had to be back on the other side of the railroad. If you know where the Brown House in Bartow, mm-hmm. it was the Atlantic coastline of the train go right in front of that big house. And we can go on the other side, but it had to be back on the other side of the track. So all of the kids that lived over there from secondary back pretty well had to walk to school. Mm-hmm. And so, so the quarters refers to the area of yeah, town right. that you were. Where we were from. Okay, um, and so you, when you attended Union, was it a K twelve yes. school? Okay, so your entire education it was segregated. Is that correct? Correct. What was the, you know, we talked briefly the other day about that you remember the days of segregated schools, but. To another generation, it seems so long. How could that have? We can't even really imagine it. Help me understand what that was like, just day to day. What do you remember about going to a segregated school? Well, the, the whole thing of it was that it was a no nonsense school. The principal taking us on this wing, and we, we were lacking a lot of things. You have to understand that. Mm-hmm. It was secondary education that we maintained, but we didn't have the best books. We didn't have this, but that was no excuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, someone would have the books first, and the next year we probably get the books, so that way we was always behind, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, like our math books and things. But that was no excuse to our principal, Mr. James E. Stevens. He said that we are not challenging each other; we are challenging the world. Mm-hmm. And so our education was everything. We we would have music. He said you have to have music. We had to have dance. We had culture. We had opera. We had to go through all of this because he was preparing us not for Bartow Black's quarters. He was preparing us for the world. Mm-hmm. And that's why you, under, you have to understand why the kids excelled so high. We weren't competing against ourselves. We were competing against the whites New Germany, you know, mm-hmm. the whole world. So, uh, and you take a liking to that because it had like a statue. If you was in the 12th grade, you wore a white shirt and a tie. Mm-hmm. And so you look forward to that. You had something to work forward. One day you'll be wearing the white tie mm-hmm. and the shirt. And, and so it was, it was a fun place. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to worry about nobody bothering with us. Cause once we got to the schoolhouse, that was our, like our little helping. Yeah. What was it like, though, you went to a school every day where you were told, challenge the world and that you can learn and you can go do great things. And then you would leave the school and you went to the quarters and your community was segregated and you were aware that you were receiving the book secondhand. I mean, 
how did you like what was that dichotomy like to carry along to carry with you that while you're being told something in your school the world right outside expected much different things from you what just what was what was that like well you have to look at it from this way it was a psychological thing Mm -hmm. because where you went to school you probably start out with ABCs. Mm-hmm. We started about out like, oh, you can't do this. You can't walk. We had to learn the law of the South. Mm-hmm. That's that's one thing. So here you got two things going on. Mm-hmm. We can't. You can't look at white people's in the eye. You can't walk on the sidewalk. You can't hold hands. You can't do this. You can't do. So we had all these kinks that we can do. It wasn't so much of the people. It was a law. Mm-hmm. And see, and that's the problem we have. Because we worked together, and we but we went to separate schools. We played in the street together, mm-hmm. but we went to separate schools. Uh, so it affected the people who couldn't adjust to, to the future or look past the, the quarters. They had a hard time because even if you made straight A's, you wasn't going to get a decent job. They had certain jobs that were good, was the garbage man, uh, working in the mine, the railroads, and things like this. So it was hard for the kids to concentrate because they were saying, okay, I go do all of this and I learn all of this, but where am I going with it? Mm-hmm. So they, a lot of them didn't even try. You know, they made just enough to get out of there because it didn't make sense to them promising me all this world, but our world is inside this fence. Right, right. So while they were told, well, in school, they they wanted you to think bigger and beyond the immediate, it was difficult to to look past what was actually happening. In fact, uh, putting all things aside, and you probably won't believe it, my teacher asked me, she said, Charles, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a garbage man. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I could not see outside the square. I couldn't see being a fireman. I couldn't see flying an airplane. I could all I can see, oh, the garbage can. I could be a garbage man. I could ride on the back of a truck and pick up the garbage. I can do that. What did your teacher say when you said you wanted to be a garbage man? She said, Charles, you can be more than that. And I'm going like, Yeah. It's like your mom telling you to do something and you're a kid and you saying, uh, I never be this. I never be that. Mm-hmm. And and with all, I never thought I would be the executive housekeeper, cause they hired me as a garbage man. At the hospital. At the hospital. Was this Bartow, which hospital? It was the Pope General Hospital. It was for the indigent people. Okay. Okay. Now this is the sixties. I was hired there. And as the garbage man, because we had to go around and pick up the garbage like five o'clock in the morning, maybe three o'clock. And that's all I did all day long. Mm-hmm. But that education that Mr. Stevens put into our minds and our heads and our souls allowed me to rise. And what he was saying is that, yes, you can't see it today. But if you do this, when the time comes, you will rise. It's like a cock stopping your fishing. If the line get hooked, the caulk disappeared. Mm-hmm. And as long as the line is there, you stay under. As soon as the line pop, you comes up. And that and that's basically what happened. When I got the opportunity to go up, she said, can you do this? I could do that. Can you do this? You can do that. Would you go to school? I, I did that. 
Mm-hmm. And in the process, you work your way all the way up. The hospital was a segregated hospital. Me and you could work together side by side. When lunchtime come, you had to go to your lunchroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't a people. It was a law. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have that much interaction of trouble between the races. It was just the law say, you can't do this. Even if you wanted to do this, you can't come sit on this side of the dining room because this our side and this is your side. The restrooms was the same way. We had, think of economic, how many bathrooms you got to have if you got to have black bathrooms and white bathrooms. You had to build a hospital where the whites would be on one side and the black would be on the other side. Mm -hmm. And basically this didn't really change until the early 70s when we want to be a accredited hospital. Mm-hmm. Once we want to be a accredited hospital, then we had to bring come to the standards. And the standards was that you had to integrate the hospital. Okay. And with like everything else, they went through channels. They said, okay, we put them all on the same flow, but we put the white in the front and the black in the back. And joint commissioner, they come down and say, no, 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 no. We want one of each in each room. Mm-hmm. So they fought every step that you went. Mm-hmm. So what was that, um, what was it like, you know, after so many years of it being segregated and then suddenly the laws don't, they, they lift those laws or they, that's not the case, but it doesn't just change overnight, right? Like what were the lingering effects? That- well, the, there, there again, you can take psychology and do so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only with people, you can do it with your animals. Mm-hmm. If you fuss at your animal all the time and you holler at him all the time, and the first time you you make a little noise, he put his tail between his legs. Mm-hmm. Um, but down. Okay, it was the same thing. I was in my 30s, and I, and I was a director of environmental services, and my boss, uh, Sister Constance, she was a nun, came to the hospital, and she was the assistant administrator. And she told me, she said, Charles, when you talk to me, look me in my face. Mm-hmm. Look at me in my eye. Mm-hmm. Well, I was taught never look in a white person's face. I'm 30-some years old, and I talked to her with my head down. She didn't make me do it. It was engraved in me. So it was like taking salt water and pouring fresh water in it. Mm-hmm. And eventually you get what? Fresh water. Mm-hmm. So it's the same process. You have to get that out of your system. And so many things changed that. Uh, in the 40s, we didn't have that much problem, even though we were segregated, because all the men's went off the wall. Mm-hmm. When the wall was over, everybody was so happy that sons and things were coming back. So there wasn't too much going on. Then you get into the 50s. Now, this is a different person. This, the guy used to bow his head down and all that. He done been in Germany. He done been in France. He done been here. So he comes back. He is a totally different person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then that's when the fear part of it. Then you get the Jim Crows and you get this. Now we need to keep them in their place. Mm-hmm. And they only let so many go up. And so and this and they come up with jobs just for you. And we had so many people went off to be educated in college, but they come back and go to work to the mines and things because they couldn't find jobs. So it was it was like, okay, I can do this, but I can't do this. I can do this, but I can't do that. And when you put can't on somebody, you just hold them down. So you can speak from firsthand perspective about the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Like where one day when you're talking about the 
2010s and the 2020s. How will you describe this chapter in American history in terms of race and race relations? And you've, it's different than the 40s and 50s, right? But right. Where, where do you see that this current chapter and that, how would you describe this chapter and that narrative you kind of just laid out for me about, you know, people coming back from war, but you know, still keeping people in their place? They, 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 I would say it, it's freedom, the fence that has been toned down, mm-hmm. and and no no one saying you can't do anything. It's up to the individual now, but do they want to do it because they was over here for so long? Mm-hmm. And so there are peoples who don't want to go on the other side of town because they was told they couldn't go, and they just came to conclusion that, okay, I can do it, but I don't want to go. And that's basically what it is. Now we got jet pilots coming from our school. Mm -hmm. And I I brought some literature and stuff to give you today also. Um, And you still got to come down to the museum. We got lawyers. We got doctors. We got all of this. But the thing of it is that it's not. We still have that. I guess they call it the prejudice part in there, mm. is because of the fact that do I have to jump twice as high to do something? Mm. Mm-hmm. All I want to do is walk out the door and say, my name Charles Luster, here's my papers. Mm. I don't want you to say, this is a black Charles Luster or a white Charles Luster. Mm. And then some of it is psychological. We're thinking that they're thinking this, mm. where they might not be thinking this. So that's what happened when you take a, a people and you do this to them, their mind psychologically. Mm-hmm. Now, the kids that went to school together from 69 on, mm-hmm. they got a different attitude. Mm-hmm. My, my kids will come and say, Dad, we going so and so. It's 9 o'clock. Y'all got to be in the house. You know, <laughs> Daddy, but his the 20s. Mm-hmm. You can do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, you know, you know we got to be at certain place, because see, we grew up, we had to be at a certain place at a certain time. We there are certain they wouldn't sell us for so much gas. They wouldn't say you know gas and see all of that. Mm-hmm. Even though I can go, I can do, but occasionally that'll pop up. Right, but so but you do see a different in generations. Oh yeah. So you, because of your firsthand experience. You still carry even now, oh, yes. even having risen up and gotten yeah. the. Education. I mean, it's not a bad thing. But I say yes, ma'am, to you. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that age. I was just based on age. Mm-hmm. Anybody older than you, yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it become part of. Mm-hmm. And, and people say, "Well, you don't have to say that." Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So part of the reason why you're so fa- you're fascinating for so many reasons, but part of the reason is because, as we said at the top, you've been working as a custodian for 53 years, and most people do not work any job for a fraction of that time, let alone being a custodian is a hard job that a lot of times does not um, get recognized or celebrated or even thanked for, right? Um, so why have you, and if I understand correctly, though, what, the reason why you have put so much time in is because you've always worked at Union. Right. And so you don't view your work as just mopping floors or just taking right. care. It is that you are helping to take care of a special place to you. Is that right? That's right. What does, what does Union mean to you? A union mean the world of me. 
Mm-hmm. Union would be like my family. The building is my home, mm-hmm. and I do everything possible to help with the school. Um, and the people I work with, I probably work with about seven or eight principals. Mm-hmm. And when they come there, I was already there, and they asked, Charles, how can we get to clean the school? How can we do this? How do, and it made you feel important that you need to be there. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting a lot of new custodians coming in, and they don't understand the, the feeling for the school or the love for the school. Okay. And and you, and I, then I become their ambassador telling them stories about the school and why we like the school. And so it's more my school. Yeah. Well, tell me, pretend I'm a new custodian and I don't know the history of Union. What would be one of the stories you would tell me? I would tell them about how how we went to school and we had to learn the, the different things we learned in school. We Not necessarily the, the, you know, the A's and the B's. We learned socializing. We learned how to dance. We learned how to sing Western songs. We learned how to do Western dances. And and the school taught us so much. They taught us how to eat. I think I saw that somewhere in the colleges over there in Tampa. They're getting the football players and the athletes and teaching them how manners. Mm-hmm. They taught us manners. They taught us everything. Even they probably taught us more than our parents taught us. Mm-hmm. And when I had an opportunity to come back to help at Union Academy, then it was a pleasure for me to come back. Even when I didn't have kids, I went to the site committee mm-hmm. to help them recruit blacks to that school mm-hmm. because I felt like it was very important that if they came there at Union Academy, they would get so much more mm-hmm. than a grade. And so far, every principal came there have lived up to the standard of Mr. James E. Stevens. Mm-hmm. And he's the namesake of James A. Stevens Elementary, right? right? Okay. Was Why was Union, why was it important that Union teach students like you beyond academics, that they provide even lessons in table manners and kind of social customs like dancing? Why was that important? Why did the school do that for you all? Well, num- number one, it was creating... An individual that will go out into the world. He didn't expect us to stay behind the fence. Once we went out into the world, we would know how to intermain with other people. Mm-hmm. We, if we went out to eat, we would know we stopped and left with our utensils. We would know how to sing. Uh, if we hear a song, we not in you know our music, your music. We turn up our nose. Mm-hmm. If we hear opera, we you know we know how to react to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, when, you, when somebody take the time to teach you all of these things, it make you embolden you into want to go. Out to the so world. it was preparing you right. to live in that world beyond your fence. Right. Did James Stevens always feel like that day was going to come, that the fences would not exist? Or did, what was his, was that a vision of his? That well, he, he knew that. And another thing, too, he wanted his school to be the best school mm-hmm. of all the schools. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we had Lakeland, Rochelle, uh, all these other schools, mm-hmm. and but the kids from Union stood out above and beyond all the other kids. Mm-hmm. And even in the football, we wore suits. We didn't go with slip flop shoes and all this. We were gentlemen. Mm-hmm. 
and the, and he would teach us so so much. And so when when somebody take that much time with you, and your parents saying you must give something back to society, what can I give back? I can give back to union. Mm-hmm. Not only in monetary, mm-hmm. I can give them back with ideals and all of this things like that. Did your parents go to school? No. They had no formal education. Well, my dad, my dad went to the first grade. Mm-hmm. My mama went to about the fourth grade. And they saw you graduate from high school? Yes. What did that mean to them? Are you their only, were you the only? No, my sister's older than me. Okay. I'm the oldest son. And I, and I did all the hard work, like cut wood and do all this. Now, my other brothers, they came along and they went to college and everything. But I was the first one. So it was like, son, I'm, I'm sick. You got to drop out of school and take care of your mom. And so I had all the burden part of life. Mm-hmm. But it was very important that I finished school. Why was that important to them? It was important to him because he didn't finish. And he said that's what he wanted, to see his kids better themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good example, we living in Bartow now. Our camp people live in Miami mm-hmm. and Orlando. He said that towns are too fast for my, my family. So he stopped in Bartow. Mm-hmm. And that's why we in Bartow. All our relatives, they went on down to Miami and other mm-hmm. places. But he said t- three things he was going to do. He's going to be walking distance to church, walking distance to school, and walking distance to work. Mm-hmm. And that's where we sit in Bartow. It was walking distance to school. We walked two blocks to church, and he worked over uh, on, the, on the other side of 2nd Avenue downtown. So he could walk because we didn't have a car. We didn't. So he was... That's the way he would think. Mm-hmm. But he was a brilliant man. He could fix cars. He could do anything. But educational-wise, he didn't have, you know, didn't have. Were you, you had graduated by the time schools were integrated? Yes. Correct? School and integrated to 6'9". So you were working, right? Yeah. I was working at Union when it, when, when okay. it integrated. So well, what were those first few days of integration like at Union? Well, they didn't integrate our school. Okay. They under, the kids went to Summerlin, okay. a bar to a high. Okay. So at, at our school, um, we did have some white teachers come in uh, the last part of, I think, 67, 68, and 69. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was basically because of the fact that there was freedom of choice and no white kids would come over there. Mm-hmm. So they brought teachers over. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking that they're saying, okay, we want our students to get used to the white people mm-hmm. or going studying under white teachers. Mm-hmm. Because black teachers, it was a it was an old fight. They they would powder <laughs> It was a different. And so when you're getting over there, you got to, so and but we did have white teachers. So it was never that we couldn't get along with white yeah, people. Yeah. It was just the idea. It was just a law that was all. When did the white, eventually white students came? When did that happen? Oh, uh, seventh grade. Okay. Garfield. Okay. It was mandatory that all kids in the seventh grade come to Garfield. So it, okay. that's when the seventh grade basically integrated. Okay. So. 
And the, and so the school was only for seventh grade for a only time. For seventh grade. For a certain amount of time. And then it became, again, a, an elementary school. No, a middle school. A middle school. So sorry. Yes, right. Okay. So it became, it went to just seventh grade and then the entire middle. Okay. Financial like eighth, ninth, so, uh, six, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Right, right. Um, well, those first days, I guess, when it was. When you just think about what the process of integrating it, what stands out in your mind? What were the biggest changes and challenges just of of taking a historically all black school and it becoming not? What what was the what was that like at Union? What was the journey like? Well, uh, the biggest thing was the changing of the name of the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we felt that de- deprived. Because mm-hmm. that was our inherit, mm-hmm. that was our school. Mm-hmm. We didn't care about them integrating the school, but we felt like we should keep our school name, mm-hmm. Union Academy. Mm-hmm. We wanted to stay Taggers. We didn't mm-hmm. want it to be Yellow Jackets, Junior Yellow Jackets, yeah. <laughs> and things like that. But far as them going to school, it, it the people from the outside were looking for the trouble. It wasn't any trouble. It, it's like anything today. If the law changes, mm-hmm. say you go to school over there, mm-hmm. then you go to school over there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kids are kids. Yeah. But psychologically, I mean, you talked a lot about the psychology of it. What was the biggest adjustment just psychologically for the students who had previously not gone to school in an integrated environment and then suddenly they do? Did you Did you notice any... No, we didn't have no fights, no mm-hmm. nothing. It just was a smooth transition. You know, now, they probably had reservations as well as the blacks had reservations. But after about six months of that, mm-hmm. you, you sat in this chair, you sat in this chair, and this chair, and the little girls said, well, I like your hair, and you this and that. And they got common things to discuss with each other. Mm-hmm. So we never had any racial problems. Yeah. But... Uh, it's like it's our school. Right. Mm-hmm. It was an adjustment. It was an adjustment. Um, so what about just the the campus itself? You've spent so much of your life there. What is the what is your favorite spot on Union's campus? The place dearest to your heart? Well, it would be the football field. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that would be the football field. because uh, I played football there. Um it was just watching the changes mm-hmm. to the building itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in elementary, they had orange trees all over the campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, do, and do, like November, this part of the year, the, the seniors and things would pick the oranges and give them to the elementary kids. And, and our orange was something special back then. Really? Yeah. Okay. And we would just like, and they would have ice cream on the campus and we churned the ice cream. They said, who want to churn ice cream? And we'd go down and churn the ice cream. Mm-hmm. Or they give you 10 points for going out there, picking up paper out the yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, custodians back then was under the principal. Mm-hmm. It went through the system like we got now. Mm-hmm. So the principal controlled everything. We lot to be, we could, we could work on Sunday mm-hmm. and take off another day. Uh, the storm come through, we'd be out there cutting trees and moving limbs and, mm-hmm. and you, you you felt like you you need to be part, you was part of something. Mm-hmm. You um, in your job today, you 
you go in after school is out. And, but do you ever get chances to interact with the kids? And do you get to share with them your personal history with the school? Do you get a chance to tell them some of the stories that you tell? Oh, yeah. Uh, I had opportunity when Dr. Hare was there. Uh, it was the first middle school. I think that was in the 90s. Uh, I had my museum. And so she asked me would I set up a museum because mm-hmm. we had an empty portable there. So I put a museum for about three months there. So about 500 kids got to come there. Mm-hmm. And they was interested in things, you know, what we did and what we played with and what, how many, how we, where we got our toys. And, and we would tell them, we basically didn't have toys. We made our toys. Mm-hmm. We would look and see a bulldozer and we go out there and make it. Mm-hmm. And uh, y'all did. <laughs> y'all, Y'all didn't have no bicycle? No. Hula hoops? No, we take a bicycle rim, take all the sports side of them and put it around our waist. And we do it. Oh, that's amazing. And the, most of the thing they talk to me about is my car, because I got a Carvette. Mm-hmm. And they say, that's, that's the man with the Carvette. I like your car. I like your car. And I say, well, you want a car like this? You've got to make some A's. Mm-hmm. And so the kids will come to me and they show me their grades and see, I'm going to get one because, see, I'm making some A's. And- uh-huh. Yeah. So you, you've mentioned a couple of times your museum. So you're actually the owner of the Luster All African American Heritage, Heritage Museum here in Bartow. Did I get right. the name right? Right. And what is the, um, the, what exactly are you preserving in that museum? And what's the, um, what are you focused on in your museum? Well, my, my museum is unique because I start with Africa. Mm-hmm. And I got as much information about the slavery, uh, the Africans, their lives before slavery and what happened in doing slavery, how they got to America. I got a ship showing the kids how they had them packed in like sardines, then how they were controlled by mindsets, by the master, and from there, then the uh, proclamation, show them about the proclamation, tell them about Jim Crow, Mm -hmm. what the time, a period of time, uh, uh, we was in the quarters, as they would say. And so it goes on all the way over to Dr. King Mm -hmm. and and his speech and the contents of his, you know, so it, it's like a book, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably got 500 books that are written by black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Athea Gibson, you probably saw that on TV not too long ago. She played tennis. They don't even talk about her. Mm-hmm. But she was one of the first black tennis players. Mm-hmm. But they keep saying, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. First, they say, you can't do this. Even it, with Hitler, Hitler say, we are superior. And Jesse Owen outrun all of them. Mm-hmm. So this is the kind of things we're trying to get out of their mind because they, yeah. they, they to get them to the point that they think positive mm-hmm. instead of all this negative stuff. So in, in the museum, are you mostly, um, what your purpose is, is to connect with younger children and help them understand, and particularly African-American children, and help them better understand their history? Is that, am I... Based on what I understand from the museum, I would think right. that. Right. Well, the museum really came about was that my father said, I think of this, my father telling me, and he making about 50 cents an hour, son, y'all, boys, y'all got to, he didn't talk too much to the girls, he said, boys, y'all got to give something back. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm looking at him like he's been on the railroad a long time. He done, something gone wrong, my mm-hmm. dad. Mm-hmm. How can we give something back and we don't have nothing to eat but pork and beans now? Mm-hmm. How are we going to give something back? But he, he's like our principal. He saw beyond the fence. Mm-hmm. And he was telling us, one day we'll be prosperous. So don't have this idea of whatever you get your hand on, hold on to it. Share. Mm-hmm. And the museum came to me. To this one where I can share with my people their history, DNA. I'm basically giving them their DNA. What do you, um, so did you start the museum or did you take it over from someone? No, or? I started from scratch. What was the very first artifact you acquired from your museum? The first thing I made was a ship out of styrofoam box. Like you went and studied the slave ships mm-hmm. and you made a replica of right. it. So you still have kids come through it. I mean, now even now they come through. Oh yes. And you you get the you talk to them and what um, and you talked about this earlier how different generations they've had different experiences and so their perception of uh, the world is different. Um, and when you grew up in the quarters it, and you were talking about you had to be home by a certain time and a younger generation maybe doesn't feel that right. So. The little kids who are coming up now, who come to a museum, like, what are they, what do they still carry with them that maybe the effects of what, what their parents, their grandparents, or great-grandparents went through, like, what do you still, what do you see that they still carry with them, if anything, in terms of? Well, let go one back further. The museum is not basically to talk about black history. Is black history is American history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we got white people. In fact, a lot of them, we have people from New York, Canada, all coming through. And they weren't even aware of the fact that this even happened. Okay. It's like the Holocaust now. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking to the kids, they whip you. Black and white kids will say that? White kids and black kids. Even black? Okay. Wow. Because... because they can't believe this happened. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to say, look, this happened. When I went to school, this was that. You, you, no white people was in school with you? Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's like, to them, it's like a story. Mm-hmm. It's a good example. When we were coming up, we learned about John Henry. Mm-hmm. John Henry was a steel driving man. Mm-hmm. It was like a song. We didn't visualize that John Henry actually was a real man. Okay, John Henry was a brute man, and what is he was a steel driving man. They at the time they were going cutting roads through mountains and things. They would he would take a hammer and bam a spike into it, pull it out and put a little dynamite in there, and he keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Then guess what? Technology comes along, and they pit John Henry with the machine to see who can drive most steel. John Henry beat the machine, but he laid down and died. Mm-hmm. So then you can see how technology eliminating the need for mankind hands. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we had to understand that we had to get educated because mm-hmm. our backs are is useless in the future. They're gonna give out. They, yeah, they they're gonna they ain't gonna need you. Mm-hmm. And that's what basically happened after slavery. Mm-hmm. You had all these people. With no education, because they refuse to educate the blacks. Mm-hmm. They educate Indians, Spanish people, anybody else. The blacks, it was a law against 
teaching them how to read and write. Mm -hmm. And then when slavery over, you got all these people who can't read and write. Mm -hmm. That's why I say, know your history, don't let it become a burden to you. Why is it important that these little kids know that history, in your opinion? How do you think it changes them when they leave the museum? That that make them respect their parents more. Mm -hmm. Because now they know what their parents went through Mm -hmm. to, to be where they are. You going to school now, you going to college, you going to, but it ain't always been like that. Your dad is like this. Why your dad say, well, he don't want to do this and he don't want to do that? Because he psychologically is damaged. Yeah. But why? They used to beat you because you didn't work, and, and that that's resident, you know, with the, you know. With so it's the psychological damage over, though, or does it somehow... Even generations later, are there no, still remnants? There's still remnants. How so? Because, number one, they tell the story. Uh, tribal mentality. You, you heard of tribal mentality mm-hmm. where they, one person tells this, you know, they get one man in the group. The Indians had basically the same thing. One man knowed everything. He know when you were born, this and that, you go to this one person, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. tribal. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's the same thing. You sitting down with your kids, now, I don't know that much about slavery. All I know is my great-granddaddy, he was a slave. He married a native Indian. That's where it reads. My granddaddy married a light-skinned Indian. Mm-hmm. Well, my granddaddy was there more with the Teals, the Teals thing, when they transferred from California, I mean, out to Colorado and all this. Now, he would not talk about slavery. He talked about Indians. Mm-hmm. So I knew more about Indians than I knew about slavery. Mm-hmm. He goes, he said, I wasn't a slave because he was born in 70, 1876 because slavery pretty well was over mm-hmm. when he became. But the, the restrictions was off from slavery was still there. Mm-hmm. And, and when the older people telling the story over and over, it's not to uh, harm the kid, but it's trying to tell them this would happen if you don't do this. If you don't go to school and get an education, people will come in and control you. Mm-hmm. So the, when, when the kids go along and they're they repeating things, it's not that they experience it anything. Their granddaddy is being told, being told, being mm-hmm. told. And uh, Douglas say, you should never forget it. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're trying to do. Oh, we don't want to talk about slavery. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to talk about that. Oh, no, we don't want that. But you must talk about it. Mm-hmm. It only let us know what our country was long before and what it's going to gonna be. Mm-hmm. And if you don't to teach it, instead of just trying to push it up on the rug, then it's going to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're trying to avoid to them being repeated into this. It's like the kids now want to burn down everything. Mm-hmm. Well, the country is bad. They want to do that. Why? Mm-hmm. What do you think, Mr. Lester? We, we try to ask everyone the same question on this podcast. What do you think you contribute to Polk County Public Schools? Uh, I think really that I give them an opportunity to, to find the truth mm-hmm. uh, about our lives, our DNA, where we came from, what what America was like, what America has changed, and what's what's good about America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are the key points that uh, me as an individual, 
And the strongest things I can do to, is to give back to society. Money is good. That's nice. But the, giving them information, because education is power. And the more education they got, the more things they learn, the better they will be able to function in our society today. And just by sharing your story and by sharing the history that you're helping to preserve at your museum, right. that's what you're doing is helping them better understand themselves and right. their history. Okay. Is there anything I haven't asked you, Mr. Lester, that you would want your your PCPS colleagues and coworkers and everyone who listens to this podcast to know about you? Well, I, I would like for them to know that when I was a little boy, uh, probably up to the 10th grade, I started as a kid mm -hmm. and I couldn't talk. Uh, we did not have speech therapists and all of that kind of stuff, so we had to go to school. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, there was other kids that did it also. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like that was a stumbling block to my education because I couldn't read. I, if you can't talk, uh, I know a lot of things, but I couldn't spell good. Mm -hmm. And so if you didn't write it down on a piece of paper, you was dumb. Mm -hmm. And that's a misconception. Uh, I would like for the school system to realize the kids are like oranges on a tree. The mm -hmm. sun shine upon them, the rain rain upon them, but they don't all get ripe at the same time. That's true, it's very true. Mr. Lester, I, again, I have wanted to talk to you for months. I'm so glad that I got the chance to. You, you embody so much history and you're able to share it with us and we appreciate it. And I learned a lot, and I know the people who come to your museum and who meet you at Union, they all learn a lot, too. So thank you so much for talking to us. It's a pleasure. Did you change careers to become a teacher, para, or bus driver? Do you remember the moment when you knew a career in education was right for you? Are you a PCPS alumnus who remembers the teacher who made you believe you were capable of great things? Are you a student who is already putting your K-12 education to work in our community? We all have a story to tell, and those stories are part of what makes PCPS great. Tell us yours. To be a guest or to nominate someone you know to be featured on The People of PCPS, fill out the form posted online at polkschoolsfl.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to The People of PCPS podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or watch online at the Polk County Public Schools YouTube channel. To learn more about the people of PCPS and other Polk County Public Schools podcasts, visit polkschoolsfl.com forward slash podcasts.